Hello and welcome back to Control-Alt-Delete. This is your host, Emma Gannon. This is the podcast where I talk about creativity, the internet and people's very interesting careers. So I'm thrilled to have partnered with Visit California for this very special mini-series for Control-Alt-Delete. This is the first in a six-part series, so make sure you listen to this episode and then go and listen to the five other interviews within this series. I first started working with Visit California a few years ago. I think this is my third year doing some work with them. So this is really exciting. I think they're an incredible company doing brilliant things in the tourism landscape. And it's been really exciting because California is the best, let's be honest. So we've called this series the California Innovation Tour. I went on a road trip. If you were following my Instagram, you would have seen some pictures. And I spent the first two weeks of March road tripping around California. I started in the Bay Area with a few days in San Francisco and Oakland, met some of the series guests there. And then I traveled down to LA and onto Huntington Beach for International Women's Day. And over the course of that trip, I met with some amazing forward thinking dreamers and pioneers all based in California. And I'm so excited to bring them to you in this mini-series. For years, California has been the inspiration for songs, films, novels. It's really the birthplace of emerging trends from tech and fitness and health and mindfulness. And so together with Visit California, I got to meet a handful of incredible minds. So today's guest is with Ruth Whitman. She is what the Sunday Times have called a whip-sharp British Bill Bryson. She's a writer and cultural critic from London, and she's now living in California. She writes for the New York Times. She is the author of the book America the Anxious, which is the US edition, and it's called The Pursuit of Happiness in the UK. Her book is about when she moved to California and she noticed that there is an American obsession with finding happiness and she unpicks why this is and why chasing constant happiness might not be the answer. But she has so many interesting bits of research to share with us. So really excited for you to listen to this one. And for more information on San Francisco and the things that you could do if you want to plan your own California road trip, which I really recommend, go to visitcalifornia.co.uk. There is loads of in-depth travel guides as well as loads of content to inspire you when you're booking the trip including their blog actually um, California Now which is the tourism board's own podcast and blog and the tv channel is called Dream365 so check that out have a look online and also check out their Instagram page for more inspiration and information thank you so much for listening I hope you enjoy this mini series please go and listen to all of them and let me know what you think and be sure to rate and review on iTunes I'm here in California. I want to talk to you about California and the amazing work you've done. So before we dig into that, because I've got so many questions to ask you about (laughs) happiness and culture and America and everything. Yes, absolutely. So you moved to California in 2011. And I just wondered if you could just tell the listeners how that came about. Yeah, so um, we... Uh, my husband and I, we had a one-year-old baby at the time. We moved to California from the UK, lived in the, in London my whole life and moved here because my husband got a job with a startup. He works in tech. And it was a real culture shock straight away in so many different ways, in good and bad ways. Um, but, and um, 
one of the things that I started noticing really early on was just this absolute cultural obsession almost with finding happiness, being happy, being positive, living your best life, you know, the kind of self-help world and not just narrowly like self-help books, but like the whole culture surrounding like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps to make yourself as happy as possible. And the more I looked into it and the more I experienced it, the more I noticed that this kind of obsession with happiness was actually really making people quite anxious I mean people talked about happiness here almost like the way people talk about going on a diet you know it's like there's not much pleasure involved in this but it's going to make me a better person and you know it's going to make me happy and it's going to you know I'm going to do it if it kills me almost and so I started just looking into it and and that's how I ended up writing this whole book about it and you know really delving into these questions of what is happiness what does actually make for a happy life Mm. it's interesting as well because the reviews of the book have been so brilliant especially in like the New York Times and the New Yorker and the New York review all the New Yorks and it's interesting that Americans have really welcomed the books and been like yeah this is a really interesting critique but also you've written it in a very funny way the books are very humorous as well oh well thank you yeah I mean I've got to say one thing that I absolutely love about Americans is that I think they really are very good sports I mean I think because America has such power in the world it's almost like they're also quite a target it's like white men you know America's like the white men of of the of the countries if you see what I mean and so they've you know it's easy to criticize Americans and it's easy to kind of poke fun and actually I think the way you know I love this country and I love um, you know the people here and I think that people have responded to you know this kind of gentle teasing and you know cultural observations in a really really positive way and you have to hand it to people you know they're very they're very good sports about it all. And I mean do you think that living here this is a really cliche question but it's called the golden state like it is the sunshine state and And do you think that that it can tie into being a little bit more happy because you are, you know, in a sunny place, people are positive? Yeah. So I think it cuts both ways. So, I mean, California, it's just like California is like a big show off because it just is such a beautiful place. I mean, it's got everything. It's got golden beaches and it's got mountains and it's got snow and it's got sunshine and it's got, you know, Hollywood. And it really is. I mean, it's occupied this place in our imaginations for so long where it really is where people come to make their dreams come true and rightly so I mean I think a lot can happen and there really are opportunities here in California that just don't exist anywhere else partly because of that mindset but the flip side of that is that I think it can lead to this real anxiety you know this like am I living my best life you know could I be doing better could I achieve more you know this idea of this American dream writ large that you know there's this happy ever after that if I just try a bit harder if I just try a bit harder then I'll get to that point and I think that can be you know bring its own anxieties Mm. but hence the title of the book you know why our search for happiness is driving us crazy and it's like that quote that I always think about Confucius um everywhere you go there you are right wherever you go there you are yeah absolutely because everyone thinks traveling can cure all your problems and that if you're by a beach then you'll have no anxiety and we just know that not to be true but our human brain can trick us I think you know now in our sort of current cultural moment there really is quite a pressure not to just be really happy but to look really happy you know with social media and you know that happiness is kind of the currency of social media really and we all do it in different ways but it's like 
look how happy I am you know here I am on this you know here's my wonderful tropical beach vacation here's my perfect kids here's my gorgeous boyfriend here's the the one out of the 57,000 pictures that I took that makes me look really beautiful and lovely and you know and I think there is this real pressure in our society about you know these are our buzzwords you know happiness uh, empowerment authenticity all these things that you know are all about looking to everyone else like you're living such a great Mm. life this is why I love your work so much because I feel like we need more people not policing it but just like criticizing it a bit or just looking at it from like an arm's length and I think that's why your books have done so well is because it's not it's not like you're critiquing this ability to be happy it's more the happiness industry I think I think the self-help industry had written down is like 11 billion yes and so if we're if we're not criticizing it or filtering it in some way then it can just be too overwhelming well that's one of the things that when I started researching um the book I realized that this is not this idea doesn't just come from anywhere you know this this idea of perfect happiness I mean there is a multi-billion dollar industry Mm. devoted to this idea that um of selling us this myth that we can make ourselves very very happy like perfectly happy if we just try a bit harder if we just download another mindfulness app or go to another yoga class or read another self-help book or write in our gratitude journal and this is a very very carefully constructed message and often can leave us feeling like if we aren't quite that happy you know a we're failing B, it's our own fault because we're just not trying hard enough. And it can sometimes lead to a kind of gaslighting of the genuine issues that exist in society. Living here, though, has anything rubbed off on you? For example, I've been here a few days and people say things like have an unforgettable day or (laughs) have an extraordinary day, have the best day. And... I, you know, I feel like, yeah, I'm going to have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. And then you sort of stride off. Yeah, I mean, I've got a love-hate relationship with it. I really do. It's so easy to get sucked in. And it is just, there's something really magical about that positivity as well. There's something, you know, wonderful to think that people are just aiming for the stars, that nothing's going to stand in your way. There's opportunities here that, as I said, you know, just don't really exist elsewhere because of that mindset. But then at the same time, you know, I do kind of miss the the British way. You know, a, a good example is um, social media. You know, when when we first moved here, I, could, I always said that you could blindfold me and read out the Facebook statuses of my friends and I could tell you instantly which ones were British and which, one, which ones were American. <laughs> like the American ones were all like, having the best day ever, you know, snuggling up with the cutest guy in the world. And, you know, it was all kind of like an Oscars speech. Every single posting was like, you know, somebody was, you know, receiving a major Academy Award. And then uh, the British ones would all be like, you know, I'm waiting for a bus. It's rubbish. Everything's, you know, (laughs) I hate everyone and all the rest of it. And in a way, you know, I think maybe things should lie in between those two extremes. You know, there's, there's a balance to be found. But I think there is something in the kind of... Maybe it's not the cynicism of British life, but it's something about the humour of it. It's like we're quite realistic. We accept, you know, things that the way they are. And I like that. You know, I think that's that's healthy. Yes, yes, I agree. I I agree with that. Um, Well, let's talk about social media then, because it's a very interesting time. I think we have had it enough now that we're being quite analytical. Mm. People are picking up on like the influencer industry and looking beyond all of that stuff and unpicking it a bit more intellectually maybe I don't know but it feels like a time where as well 
um we're being told to kind of unfollow people that don't make us happy we're being told that we should marry condo our feeds and i just wondered what you thought about that because I don't know if social media should make me happy. I want to be uncomfortable on it sometimes. That's I want- interesting. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. So I've just joined Instagram about a month. Well, yeah, six weeks ago or something. It's it's a new thing for oh, me. Oh, is it? I didn't know. Yeah, it's funny. I resisted it for a really long time. And I've got very mixed feelings about it. I think you're right. I think people are unpicking these things a lot more. And there's a lot more awareness and a lot less you know, blind, except, and I think people, in a way, are trying to be more honest on there as well. I think I do see a lot of posts where, you know, I I have young children and I follow a lot of kind of mum influencer types, and I think whereas a few years ago it would be like, here's everything's perfect, and that does still exist. You know, there's here's my perfect children in their perfect outfits and all the rest of it. And now I also do see a lot of, you know, actually here I am at three a.m. with postnatal depression and you know everything's miserable. I do see that sort of thing as well. You know, I think it's it's a complicated thing. I think it's right to feel, I think it's good that people are being honest on social media. For me, the thing that's uncomfortable about Instagram is that I don't really know whether I'm there for work or for myself. And I think that's the space that we tend to occupy in the gig economy. I know you've mm. talked about this a lot as well. You know, is this is this this a completely sort of um disinterested um you know by disinterested I mean like non-business related thing is this just me putting out pictures of my life and my kids for my friends to see or is this me trying to create some kind of professional image somehow and I think I'm in this uneasy thing so I don't really know what I'm doing on there and I don't find it a particularly comfortable place I think maybe Mm. I just need to spend longer I know lots of people absolutely love it yeah it's a weird blurred lines and you wrote an incredible piece in the new york times about this about how everything is now for sale and everyone listening go and google it because it's it's so good and it's so funny in your signature style kind of gently mocking the way we live (laughs) it's just funny this the the sort of uh currency now between friends as well like if your friend has something out like a you know i have some followers on there so i know that if a friend of mine has a book coming out, I have to post about it. Right, even if you hate it, presumably. <laughs> even if you think it's the worst book ever. And, you know, yeah, and it is. It's this sort of, these systems of power that exist within there. And some people have a lot of power on there and some people have none. And I think we can get very obsessed with these metrics, you know, how many followers, how many likes, how many retweets, how many this, that and the other. And we almost judge ourselves by these numbers. And, you know, it can become quite obsessive in a way. And they're not, these kind of metrics are... They're not completely irrelevant in the sense of, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, to get to a point where you have tens of thousands of followers on Instagram, you have to have put in a lot of work. I don't think that comes Mm. very naturally. But at the same time, it's not a a perfect measure of, you know, how worthwhile somebody is or how... um, how good what their content is, how good what they're producing is. And I think it's just this, you know, we live in this odd space where, um, you know, this gig economy thing where there is this very, very blurred line between work and self. And, you know, we talk about work-life integration instead of work-life balance. And I think there's something fundamentally slightly unhealthy because it, it sort of puts this element of market-driven competition into our social interaction, which is, you know, yes. can be a little bit unpleasant. So for me, I mean, I love the part of the job, you know, I love writing and I love doing things like this. I love talking, podcasts, interview, you know, talking about culture and the way that we live. I don't love social media. I don't love the kind of, because uh, partly because it just takes up an incredible amount of time and it's a lot yeah. of free labour. And I think there is a way in which you can make this work and turn it into something that eventually does make money, but it takes a very long time and it's very, you know, I think people can, you know, it, it's not a it's not an easy route to to 
making a living by any means and it's just you know you can put in hours and hours and hours every week of free labor I mean for me to go on Twitter I barely go on that I go on there to sort of tweet articles that I find interesting with zero comment or or you know put if I've got a book or an article out I'll tweet it or similarly with things that my friends do but you know I think to spend your time on Twitter actually commenting on every single thing that happens in the news and every bit of celebrity culture and getting investigation conversations I mean I don't know how people have time to do it it's I mean, a full-time job it is a full-time job and if like I literally to- had that job I was like a <laughs> social media editor for a magazine where that was my job and it's like now I do that and my other job and your other job yeah and I think you know we have to make choices about what we do with our time and you know it's just how do we choose and I think in the gig economy you're very much expected to do that but I think it's very easy to make a lot of noise in this world but not a lot of cash you know and I think I mean that's the situation that I found myself in recently I mean this just to take this last year as an example I mean it it was a slightly unusual year because I had a baby as well so I was sort of on part maternity leave but kind of part working so I didn't do as much writing as I normally would but you know I was thinking um yes actually as I was doing my taxes I was it was tax week last week so I was doing my taxes and I was thinking you know if my childhood self could look at what I was doing now I would be so thrilled and I think that I'd you know, I've really made it by my own criteria. You know, this was the year that I had a New York Times Sunday Review cover story. I did a TEDx talk. I've been on, you know, maybe 30 different um, media outlets to radio. I've done TV, all these sorts of things. And then I do my taxes and I've made less than $5,000 this year, which is just, I mean, there's just no way that that, you know, and I think we talk a lot of rhetoric about the economy being incredibly empowering and Mm -hmm. making women, you know, financially independent. And I think that does happen, but I think there's not very much honesty as well about how much of this is actually free labour. Yes. I remember reading an article, it might have been in the New York Times actually, but it was about a YouTuber who had millions of followers on YouTube and worked in, I think, in a fast food place and saying that it was really annoying because she hadn't made any money and yet people were recognising her at work. Right. And it was this thing of like people assumed that she had loads of money yeah because I think people if you're making a lot of noise then people think that you know that this is cash and especially you know I'm in journalism and there's no money in it so I think it can end up being quite exploitative you know I think companies can take advantage of people because people want to write for exposure or for very low wages there's a lot of people who want to do it and I think Mm. you know somebody at the top is making money out of all of this you know in a indirect way and yeah absolutely so I mean what I'd love to see is some more like specifics about how this stuff actually makes money for people you know I'd be really interested to know you know you sort of hear about the it doesn't make money and then you hear about I'm a millionaire now but I, you know it's like who? who where where does this money actually come from who's paying it who wrote you that check why what did you do for it how, you know that kind of thing I think is yes the information that you know, I'd love to know. I think it's interesting as well because um, one of the previous episodes on this podcast was with Sarah Tasker, who's an Instagram yeah, consultant. Yeah, and she's really inspiring because she's gone out and made herself a job. Like, yeah. I think we're in a time where you can create your own jobs, which sounds really daunting. But essentially, we all have an internet connection we can all sell something so anyone can have a pay button on their website so if you've got something to sell you can someone can just buy it off you but no one is telling anyone how to do that properly right and how to do that in like really step by step because it's kind of like okay so what can you sell I mean 
okay, there are people who are selling actual things. Like if you have your own Etsy shop or whatever, then you're selling actual things. But I think a lot of us are selling something that's quite amorphous or abstract. You know, you're selling this idea of yourself in a way. Nobody owes anyone honesty about how happy they are at one level. But at another level, if we're all completely dishonest and saying that we're completely happy all the time and everything's perfect, then we all suffer for it as well. Mm, It's very, very true. With happiness... Um, obviously you talk a lot about the irony of like the more you chase it the the more miserable you probably will be yeah do you is there anything like just on a practical level that you do or you know that your friends do or just anyone does that you know just makes everything slightly smaller and more manageable does make things happier yeah well it was really interesting because I went into this project I started looking at happiness you know what makes for a happy life and looking at the self-help industry and I really expected to find that there were no universals that you know every happiness is different for everybody that you know it just depends who you are what makes you happy which is true on one level but I was actually really shocked to find that there is one single thing that accounts for a greater proportion of our happiness than anything else. And it's been confirmed pretty much by every single study that's ever been done into happiness and health. And that is social connection and other people. So even for people who claim that they're introverts um, and who don't like other people, good, strong social relationships are pretty much the strongest predictor of a happy life that Mm -hmm. you can find. So you know, you can apply that to yourself in different ways. I mean, for some people that might be lots and lots of big parties all the time. And for other people that might be one very close friend. But yeah, if you focus on your relationships, that's that's the baseline of happiness. Yeah. There's also a strong link between money and happiness that we don't really like to admit to. Um, yeah, because actually I wanted to yeah. ask you about that because yeah. I tweeted something recently about how I want to see more really rich women. And and I think I said in my tweet, like, I know money doesn't buy happiness, but or something. Yeah. And actually, I reread that a few days later. And I was like, I think money does buy a certain does. level oh, of happiness. Does. I mean, so it's interesting. I actually wrote a piece about this for The Guardian a while back. So we've got this narrative, which is money doesn't buy you happiness. And it's this very kind of moralizing narrative. And we repeat it again and again. And actually, the research says almost the complete opposite. And people really miss... Um, you know, you hear a lot of TED talks about, you know, paraplegics are just as happy as lottery winners and all the rest of it. I mean, that is such a misreading of the actual research. The actual research shows a very, very strong link between money and happiness. It sort of tails off a bit after a, after a certain level. But even then, it still does continue on most measures of happiness, up, you know, beyond which. And so, you know, that's not to say that you can't be rich and miserable. And it's not to say that you can't be poor and happy. But actually, money takes away a lot of our stresses and a lot of our anxiety. And, you know, mm. so yeah, I think it's something it, we should talk about. And I totally. think it's something that we almost feel what we can't say, mm. because it seems like unspiritual or un, you know, whatever, or overly materialistic. But actually, that, again, is a form of gaslighting, you know, to say to people, oh, well, money can't buy you happiness. It's like, well, that's fair enough, but I can't pay my electric bill or I can't, you know, feed my kids or whatever. And that's an increasing number of people in our society. So, Yeah, because it it is irresponsible to say that because, and it's actually offensive to say that money doesn't buy happiness because you're saying, well like you just said I actually I, I genuinely need this money yeah and it's also always said by people who aren't short of money I mean you know David Cameron very famously said oh people just focus way too much on money you know he's a multi-millionaire public school he's got as much money as he could possibly need systematically dismantling the welfare state and taking away everybody's benefits and austerity and all the rest of it saying you know and at the same time 
getting to be really moralizing and say, well, I'm just so unmaterialistic. You know, Chelsea Clinton said it. Ivana, um, mm. I think Ivanka Trump has said it. You know, it's the trope of somebody who has never really had to struggle for money. Yes, because the only research I've ever read is like about what you just said about the tail off point. So yeah. like you could be really rich and like being even richer might not make, make you happier because you've already got loads but, yeah, but a bit that, more money is is great and also that study people really misrepresent what that study says so there, there's a very famous study which says over seventy five thousand dollars a year you don't get any happier you know so if you've got seventy five thousand dollars a year then you know any money above that doesn't make you any happier but a couple of things about that study, which I've read in quite a lot of detail. Um, so number one, only 10% of the population makes $75,000 a year. So that is, for a start, you're only talking about 10% of the people, 90% of the people it doesn't apply to anyway. But even beyond that, it's only one measure of happiness that tails off after that level. So um, it's what they call um, the mood that you were in the day before doesn't get any better so if people ask you you know how did you feel yesterday were you grumpy were you anxious were you this or that that doesn't change over $75,000 a year but what they call the general uh, life satisfaction measure of happiness so if I say to you how happy are you as a whole in all aspects of your life people will report higher and higher happiness with more and more money and it never tails off in that same study and that is never reported whoa so you know yes I, I really hope that that rhetoric, like that that conversation starts to happen more and more because I, yeah. s- I still think we're stuck in that like yeah. money doesn't matter. Money doesn't matter. And of course it matters. It and really I think matters. it's a very easy way for um, companies and, you know, people with power to be quite exploitative of people who don't have money. I think, you know, there's this, well, we don't need to, it can justify a lot of exploitation because you say, well, we don't need to pay people a fair wage or we don't need to pay you for this because money doesn't make mm. you happy. And it's the same yeah. conversation, I guess, like what you were saying before about having like a cool job or right. something that's yes. really amazing on paper. Um, you're just lucky to be able to do the job so you shouldn't get paid. No, yeah. no. <laughs> no, no, no. And you've always been brilliant about that. I mean, everything that I've ever read has said, you know, no, that you've written has been, know your worth. Yes, I should be paid for this. And that's, those are the conversations that we need to have. And it, as long as we're sort of perpetuating these really false narratives around money, I think it's very hard to have those, yeah. to have those conversations. And especially for women. Totally. And I really would hate to screw anyone else over that's what I worry about is if someone said can you write this article for x magazine and I'm like yeah I'll do it for like hardly any money I'll just I just can't wait to be in print that means that like if you came along and said oh I'll do it the same job they'd be like well Emma did it for for for, for like two pounds so uh sorry you have to do it for that and it's like making bad making bad decisions of money actually impacts everyone else and that's why you know we live in this world that everything's so diffuse and there's no you unions anymore there's no collective bargain well I mean there are but it it barely exists in the Mm -hmm. gig economy there's no collective bargaining we're not very honest about how much money we actually get paid so people don't know you know and I think you know part of it I think is also if you can afford not to care about the money it's easy to um to ask for more like Mm -hmm. if you like I got offered a job um while, while I was on maternity leave um somebody wanted me to write something and I really didn't care whether I did it or not. And they offered this like very low amount of money and I quadrupled it and I said, you know, that's the minimum. And the only reason I felt confident to do that was because I really didn't care if they said no and I actually didn't really want to do it that much. And they came back and they said, fine. But I think it's kind of like relationships, you know, when you really when you really kind of fancy somebody, it's very hard to be cool. Whereas when you don't care, it's very easy to be cool about it. Absolutely. You know? And you know what I've realised is 
have, having now been in a position where I'm making more money than I ever have, have in my job, like it's, it's literally, got, I'm like, oh, this is paying off literally the last 10 years is starting to pay off. I'm now confident to say no to more things because I don't have to as much. And so actually money makes you more confident because yes. you get to be Definitely. you get to say actually I don't need this yeah. so therefore I'm gonna ask for more yeah absolutely and if they say no that's fine you know because you have the thing that makes you in a good position to negotiate is being prepared to walk away and you know in a way I'm incredibly lucky I, I'm a, talking from a position of extreme privilege because I have a husband who has a regular study you know reasonably well-paid job and so I can afford to pick and choose and you know not you know to earn low amounts of money and to take things that are only interesting to me mm. you know but that is a very very privileged position to be in for sure yeah but thanks for being so honest <laughs> this is a great honest episode um so just lastly what do you love about living here can you do two uh, two versions of this one that my mum can hear and one that <laughs> one that she can't hear so I mean we, it's funny because when we first moved here we thought we would just be here for a year or two and it's been seven years now wow and it would be very very hard for us to leave now I mean it's just this wonderful glorious place to live and I feel very very privileged and lucky to be here I mean it's like natural beauty of you know a kind that you won't see in many places in the world it's you know it's a wonderful lifestyle we live in Berkeley which is a great liberal hilarious quirky and interesting place and it's very walkable I mean I you know I love living here and it, you know our kids are in school here it would be very hard for us to leave at the moment you know I we always have a dilemma about whether we're whether we're going to stay or go but you know there's a lot keeping us here mm. for sure and for anyone listening who thinks maybe one day I might move I, I hear because I've never done it I hear like the first like three months or so is is a bit of a nightmare because you're like basically starting again from scratch and like all the yeah. admin stuff so for me I would say that the logistical stuff was a bit of a pain but that wasn't the hardest part the by far the hardest part was leaving family and friends and having to start all over again and build a social network because I think what you don't realize is when you move to a new place you don't have those deep relationships with people so it's easy to make superficial friendships um or at least I find it relatively easy especially here people are very very friendly I had a kid so you can meet other mums you know you can meet people through work but it's those very deep relationships where people have known you your whole life where you've got that shorthand where you tell a story about John and everybody knows who John is and you have to explain it you can crack a joke that something happened 15 years you know you've got a shared language and that was the hard part for me you know to just try and recreate and and seven years on I think you know I've got some wonderful friends here and some I do feel like we've made some deep relationships and we've seen each other through a lot of you know highs and lows and new babies and deaths and illness and ups and downs and career highs and lows and all the rest of it so I think that's where the depth comes from I still feel like there's you know our families are back in the UK and that's you know you can't change that but I think to anybody who wants to to make a move I mean it's you know, there's good and bad in it, of course, but I mean, it's a wonderful thing to do. It's a great opportunity. You see things in a totally different way. It gives you a new lease of life in a way. It gives mm. you sort of wakes you up to all the tiny details of life that are different. Totally. Yeah, it makes you almost appreciate your life in many different ways. Yes. Just getting out of that bubble. I, yes. I, I feel happier when I'm not just zoomed all the way into the tiny things. You're just like, yeah. it takes a 
I don't know what I'm saying, but it, you you get to like zoom out and just yeah, have a look around, get some perspective, and yeah. you know, and it's that it's that. So in a way, it's like the narcissism of small differences, isn't it? Because in the, in many ways, the UK and and the United States are very similar. You know, we speak the same language, um, we we'll watch the same TV, the same films, we wear the same sorts of clothes. Generally, you know, it's not like going to Afghanistan or Mongolia or something but you know it's those little things that makes you really notice life you know and the richness and the sort of the granularity of of experience that you just take so much for granted when you're in your home yeah it's so true I know I thought today because we did the the Golden Gate Bridge cycle and all these things and it's amazing what you can fit in a day when you are away discovering new things motivated to do it yeah Yeah, it seems like time stretches out a little bit more it's amazing well thank you so so much um, your books are available in america and in the uk and i i mean i think people are going to go and want to read them especially after this episode because there's so much in the book that you can't really say on podcast can you so much research so thank you oh well thank you so much for having me it's been great thank you